The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. It is Tuesday, December 8th. And the reason it's Tuesday, December 8th, and not Wednesday, December 9th, depending on when you're listening to this anyway, is that uh, we are having an emergency Carson Wentz got benched podcast featuring a man who demands in his contract that he gets on every emergency podcast, the one, the only, Brady Quinn Football Show! It's actually quite the opposite. Uh, I'm not supposed to be on any emergency pod ever. So uh, I'm in breach of contracts. I mean, I may have to get a hold of uh, Kieran Porley or Jeff Gratula to see if uh, see what the ramifications are at this point. So this I is a... Uh, I recommend starting your complaint a little bit lower on the totem pole. You, it'll probably get it taken care of a little bit easier. You can call, like, like, call, like just talk to Debo. Be like, Debo, rename it. Edit that out. Don't let Brenton say emergency podcast or like text EK. And like, I'm just saying you don't have to, you don't have to go over the top on this one. You could probably. Okay. So before we even talk football, last week you were complaining about the garland on your mantle. That's right. Have you gotten a tree yet and have you decorated it? If so, real or fake? Uh, real tree. Yes. Of course, always real tree. Um, and I will say this. So when we moved to back to Raleigh from Greensboro, uh, when we started getting a tree, my, uh, we went with AK, my wife. And, uh, I remember she was telling us, she was telling me and a buddy, she was like, yeah, you can get your tree delivered. It's like, well, it's ridiculous. Like it's what are we talking about here? Well, we go up there. It turns out they deliver the tree for $5. So it's it's a no brainer. Tack it on, deliver that tree. So we had somebody uh, swing by in a pickup truck, set up the tree. Um, and to be honest, my son, Robbie, he'll be seven. His favorite thing about Christmas is decorating the tree. Oh, that's sweet. So yeah, huge on decorating the tree. Uh, oh, I mean, I'm not, you know, aka Robbie or I, I podcast while they decorate. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it was on, it was actually, we were, de- the tree was decorated on a Wednesday afternoon, mid afternoon, lovely Christmas day. Um, but it happened to be Raven Steelers. That's right. How'd that go over? Uh, it went fine. So I, I came down and put lights up and, uh, and then, um, Robbie did, Robbie did most of the ornaments. He just really like, he loves decorating the trees. Like his favorite thing. He was in class, um, yesterday and they did a, a virtual class and they did, they're like, all right, it's share day. You know, uh, Robbie, share one thing that you like, um, about Christmas. He was like, my favorite thing is decorating the tree and putting up the ornaments. It's pretty cool. That's what about you? Real fake. Real, of course, of course, real. We went out to, to, uh, go grab a tree like normal people. We're not all hoity toity lifting out our pinky all the time. Like some people who have it delivered, uh, had the girls go and I always make sure the girls go play hide and seek around the Christmas tree lot. Cause I want them to make sure they're like their kids. And like, while my wife and my in-laws, they wanted them to be like serious. And I, I was like, no, 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 go hide. Dad will come find you. So we did that for a little while. Then we finally found a tree, took it back. Uh, not as big as, uh, the tree we had last year. We, uh, we kind of got one of those like family Griswold trees where it like was way too big 
for our car. Like I feel like we were basically like the tree was driving us. Um, this year got a little smaller tree, a little easier for Sloan, our four year old, our eldest to, uh, to decorate it. So real tree got it decorated. Feel pretty good about it so far. Feel pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Our house is, uh, decked out all holly and jolly. I will say that it feels like the inflation rate relative to the actual dollar is not rising, uh, on an even pace with the inflation rate of Christmas trees. You're, you're saying right now the Christmas trees are way overpriced. Is what Christmas you're trees are exponential or like the price of Christmas trees is jumping exponentially year over year. I, we got a smaller tree this year compared to last year. So I just remember last year being like, wow, that was expensive, but it was also was a big tree. This year I was like, yeah, that wasn't that bad. What's a small tree for the Quins? I feel like it might be like 16 feet. I know you got this. No, tree. no. I, I can tell you last year we had like a 16 foot oh, tree or 18 foot tree. And like I said, like we put that thing in the car. I was like, ah, it didn't look that big when I was standing up there, but now that looks gigantic. Um, we, I think it's like, I don't even know if it's eight feet. It might be like seven. It's not that big. It's not that big. Trust me. We, we were like, let's just get something that the girls can decorate. And I'm not like lifting them up and holding them for two hours to try to get one of those ornaments to stay on the branch. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. I feel like it says a lot about you too. If you get a fake tree, like I, I kind of feel like that's it's kind of like the people who back into the parking spot versus the people who just pull straight in and park. Have we had this know, conversation? I don't know if it's that bad, but you know what I'm saying though. There's a difference between people who pull in and people who I, back in. I mean, I hope I'm not offending too many listeners. I can't stand the back end. I need you. If you're backing into the parking spot, you need to have some sort of utilitarian purpose for doing it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, like, no, no. I'm hundred like, percent with you. Yeah. You like, I would say it's one of the top 10 things I would ask like somebody who's applying for a job or like someone I work with, or if I like needed to figure out if I wanted to work with this person, I'd be like, Hey, uh, where'd you park today? And I, I would just go out and I'd look. And if they backed in, I'm like, that's all I need to know. Out. <laughs> You're out. You're not hired. Go, go somewhere else. I'm just saying right. fake tree. Kind of in that category. I'm not going to lie. Kind of in that category. Not quite as bad, but it's close. It's That's close. how you could weed out potential employees if you if you were ever hiring for anything. You'd say, all right, real or fake Christmas tree. And they're like, right. Uh, they fake. Go, fake, you're out. out. Yeah, uh, Back in, you're out. That's strike two. Just You only get two strikes. You're out. How often do you back into a parking spot? You don't back in? Get out of my office. Get out of my office. <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk some football because, you know, <laughs> Well, I don't know if he backs in or not. Carson Wentz is backing into the bench right now. He has been benched. Yeah, this is the podcast Debo has been waiting for. You <laughs> to break down the eventual decline of Carson Wentz. Um, it, like Brady, there's no way to sh- uh, sugarcoat it. This has been a disaster season for Carson Wentz. He has been awful. The we- weapons around him not helping him. The offensive line not helping him. Doug Peterson not helping him. Um, Howie Roseman hasn't helped him the last few years with his drafting in terms of the, the wide receivers he's picked up. Uh, relative to the options available to them, something that Eagles fans have made very abundantly clear. But Carson Wentz just hadn't been good, and he needs a break, and they're giving him one, and they're starting Jalen Hurts. Is this the right move? Yeah, well, I, I think it's the right move for this reason, okay? It's the right move right now for the Eagles because they're not going to win the division. They need to see what they have in Jalen Hurts. They didn't get a preseason. They had a condensed offseason. That may be the, the, the case in 2021. So you need to see what you have in him. You obviously thought enough about him to draft him in the second round. 
and all the, all the while knowing that you had Carson Wentz under this huge contract. So when you made that decision, I think you also signed up for this decision, meaning I now have to see what I have in him to then go into 2021 thinking one of two things. Either it's a competition between Hertz and Wentz, if Hertz plays well enough, or maybe there's a competition where he could take over at some point in 2021, or he needs more development, he's a good backup, and that's all it is. Let's just try to regroup and try to find a way of getting more out of Carson in 2021. But because of Carson's contract, I just do not foresee, regardless of how well Jalen plays, them getting out from underneath Carson Wentz or trading him somewhere else. It's way too much to absorb for what he's probably showed the past couple of years. Maybe injury history plays a factor in that too. Unless you find yourself with a team that has a ton of cap space and would want to absorb that in an exchange, you know, give you a pretty big pick, but they probably want a big pick too, a la the Cleveland Browns, Houston Texans with Brock Osweiler. Here's why that wouldn't happen though next year. One, there's a huge dead cap hit. They don't want to take that on for that reason. In the event that it just, you know, they don't want them either. Two, the salary cap is at best going to plateau based on recent reports, if not potentially lose money. So, yeah, you've got some teams rolling over money to have extra cap space, but you don't have the 10 million you used to have as the league was, has been healthy and inflating year after year. So you don't have that additional space to absorb that money and still make some other decisions via free agency, if you will. Uh, so I just, I don't foresee that even being a likely uh, scenario. So at this point, it's going to be Jalen Hurts. I know they only committed to him for one game, but I'll just throw this back at you. What's the point of only having Jalen Hurts start for one game? Like if he plays poorly, why not let him play two or three more games the rest of the season to see if he can, you know, play his way out of it and improve along the course of the way? Like, don't you know what you have in Wentz at this point this season? Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think that the problem for NFL teams very often is that they are not realistic about their situation as it relates to uh, the the standings and and where they are. And they try NFL teams are constantly trying to play this trying to work down this two-way street, whether it's because the coach, you know, it's because it's typically because, you know, if you're, if you're a bad team anyway, you're doing it because the coach is trying to avoid getting on the hot seat. You know, the GM wants to maximize it. There is always a chance that something crazy can happen. And you can end up making the playoffs, but with the wins from Washington on Monday night and from the giants on Sunday, it seems highly, highly unlikely that, that Philadelphia will make it. I am of the opinion that Carson Wentz, um, needs a like I think that being in the playoff hunt is almost worse for him because he's pressing more. And I think I may have said this to you last week. I don't know. I've been saying on the show. But like if they were just three and eight or what three, six and one, whatever the hell they are, and it what it was a normal season, I think Carson Wentz would be out there sort of kind of relax. Like there's nothing to play for. You know, like it's like the Falcons start to win late in the season when it doesn't matter. And I think that would help because they're in because they're a bad team that's in the hunt that can't win. It, it's almost making it worse. And I think he just needs that break. You know, sometimes you just need to step away. Is it, is it humbling? Yes. Is it humiliating? Maybe, but I think it'd be good for him to take a step back. And more importantly, for, to your point, Brady, and I 100% agree. And I heard, I know Daniel Jeremiah said something like this on NFL network that was you know, before the, the benching was announced. That it's like, look, they just need you. You are going to have Carson Wentz next year. You have a 2021 dead cap and if you release him after June 1st of $49 million. If you trade him before, if you cut him before June 1st, it's $59 million. You lose $24 million in salary cap space by cutting him before June 1st. It's not happening. 
If you trade him, you gain less than a million bucks and you have a $33.8 million dead cap hit. And nobody's trading for him because he looks broken. So you really have to, as you point out, find out what you have in Jalen Hurts. Is Jalen Hurts going to be the answer in two or three years? Is he, does he show you enough in Doug Peterson's system that you think that you can develop him? Because Carson Wentz's contract after 2021, there is a potential out there. Um, and then, you know, so you, it's a dual purpose. You let Carson Wentz take a break mentally, physically too. And this has been a, you see that tweet, um, where it's like the first weekend in December, 2017 towards ACL. 2018 had a back injury that knocked him out for the rest of the year. And now 2020 gets benched for, for Jalen Hurts. Not a fun time of the year for Carson Wentz. Maybe he's a fake tree guy. I don't, and it's bad karma coming back. I don't know, but I do think that. It gives you a chance to look at Jalen Hurts. It gives you a chance to give Carson Wentz a breather, and you don't have to worry about this season. No, I, there's there's no worry. You're now looking ahead. I think the only concern I'd have from Doug Peterson is typically when you go to someone like this, and maybe it's one of the reasons why he didn't say it's for the rest of the season, because that sends the wrong message to the locker room. Once you start saying that you're thinking about the future and not this season, all of the other players start to follow suit. And what does that mean? I'm looking out for myself. I'm not looking out for anyone else. You know, no one knows if they fall apart, if they would move on from Doug Peterson. I don't think they will. He'll still be there next year. Uh, but there's that thought. Uh, and, and I think the other thing is, you know, players sometimes are playing through stuff. They might say, look, I need to get this scoped or I need to get this work done. Maybe I'm just going to go ahead and get that surgery now as opposed to cutting into my, you know, my off season, uh, not knowing what's going to happen with COVID. And instead of playing hurt or playing with this, I'm going to go on IR and get it now. That happens all the time with players, especially when once they're out of the division hunt or a playoff hunt. So I think the only concern is that is, you know, you're, you're, you're a lot of your veteran guys or guys who are playing through stuff start thinking about themselves and think about the future, not thinking about your team. Um, that would probably be my biggest concern at this point. But again, Howie Roseman, you know, Doug Peterson, those guys are in the evaluation mode looking forward to 2021. And so I have no problem if they just came out flat out and said it. Look, we're going to look at some younger guys on our roster. We're going to let Jalen Hurts play, and we're going to see what he's capable of. And hopefully by the end of the year, we feel like we've got two really good quarterbacks. Uh, but, yeah, as far as Carson Wentz and the mental break, it's you know as much as we want to say he needs it, I, I honestly don't know how he'll come back from this or how he'll, he'll respond. Because if, if this is in part – because I don't see it being physical or somewhat, you know, uh, a matter of mechanics – you know, there's times when he'll make some mechan- have some mechanical flaws, but he's he's pretty consistent with his stroke and his motion. It just looks like a lack of confidence. Yeah, like he's not seeing the field well, not not making the same sort of throws and pulling the trigger when he needs to. And so I wonder if how much that goes back to he just got that monkey off his back last year, where I thought he played pretty well considering the circumstances of guys he was throwing to, and then he comes into this season, he's got another guy he's got to look over his shoulder after. You know, it was Nick Foles. Now Nick Foles is gone. He's there. Yeah, you know, they're banged up. They didn't play great, but he played pretty well considering all things considered. He has to walk by a Nick Foles statue every day on the way into work, reminding him that it wasn't him who won the Super Bowl for the Eagles. It was Nick Foles. And they drafted a guy in the second round without telling him. I mean, like, that's sort of like what happened to Mike Glennon, not Carson, you know, not Carson Wentz, who is allegedly a franchise quarterback. Right. But, but he, all that being said, like, that's the mental toll that I think, you know, he can't take a break from, like, just because. He's now riding the bench. Like before he could root for Nick Foles, he could help Nick Foles. He was hurt. He wasn't coming back to play. Now it's a scenario where he's capable. It's just his play hasn't been there and he's got to watch a guy replace him. So 
you know, we could talk about him needing to take a mental break, but this is where I think it could send him into a bad, bad mental place that maybe he has a hard time coming back from. Yeah, I mean, is there a is there a point where if you're Carson Wentz, you feel like you might not? It's it's so weird because you know Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson were, I, I mean, you know, involved in giving you this huge contract and involved in installing, you know, having you like getting you drafted and installing you as the the franchise quarterback and all of that. Is, is there a point as a quarterback where when that happens? a level of distrust starts to build up that maybe is impossible to move past. It doesn't really matter like that level of trust and all that kind of stuff. As far as a quarterback, like your trust with your teammates and players, that's what matters most. And, and I don't think I'm so much worried about uh, a lack of trust in the guys he's throwing to, or their, you know, trust in him. It, it's more about the fact that like if Jalen hurts goes in there, who does and says all the right things, if he just starts to provide them a spark and he goes in the offseason with some momentum, that's where sometimes you, you get like everyone in the locker room saying like, all right, well, even if we start next year with Carson Wentz, like maybe he's got a short leash because we saw what Jalen Hurts can do. We like him better. We feel like he might be a better leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that might be a scenario when you talk about trust. Maybe they start trusting Jalen Hurts more so than they trust Carson Wentz. Uh, that's the only like really trust issue that I think I'd be most concerned by with this whole scenario. Okay. Um, and that's a concern. Like if the Eagles rip off, I mean, I don't think that, again, we don't think they're going to win the division, but it's not off the table completely. I mean, they could, you know, Washington and New York could lay eggs going forward. The Eagles, you know, Jalen Hurts could win four it games. Seems, and- seems unlikely. Seems unlikely, but no, you're right. You're right. They could. I mean, technically they're not out of it. If Jalen Hurts wins seven, if they, if he wins, if he goes four and oh to close the season and they make the playoffs, I mean, you're starting him in the playoff game, not Carson Wentz, right? Of course. Like, yeah. how could you, how, how could you start Carson at that point? Right. And by the yeah. way, if a history repeats itself, you've got a better chance with Jalen Hurts going. Jalen Hurts won the Eagles a Super Bowl in 2020. If you're Carson Wentz, you're like, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> like, I'm done. Here's yeah. the money back. I'm going to go shoot bison and chop wood in North Dakota. I don't ever want to see football again. I don't want to see a football again. And if I see an eagle, I'm going to shoot it too. Like, no more eagles, no more footballs. I'm out of here. We're out of here too. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about other other quarterbacks we are concerned with. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. 
That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, so a quarterback we were concerned with, I was concerned briefly, Alex Smith. He was gushing blood out of his leg. Fortunately, it was the the leg that he didn't suffer the the nasty, the, the terrifying injury from uh, in previous years. It was instead. So that, that makes you feel more confident that his one good leg now is punctured to where it's gushing out with blood. That makes sense. Yeah. The only thing that made me confident was that he didn't seem worried. I was like, well, he seems like he's fine. So, yeah. Which I guess if you've almost died because your leg fractured, when you have a cleat puncture your leg and you're gushing blood, maybe you're like, yeah. It's sort of like the the Monty Python. It's like it's not, it's but a flesh wound. Yeah, um, I mean, when you've been through what he's been through, yeah, there's probably not many things that warrant a reaction from him at this point. Did you ever have that happen? Anything like that? So I got cleated like that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, you, you ever like like it like punctured and you're just gushing blood? Uh, yeah, pretty bad. I remember I had a cut one time. Now this goes back to high school, but this is back when you used to have the old screw-ins that were like metal tips, and so I'll never forget. Uh, I think my running back was like cutting across me and I had probably about a five inch, like just incision on the front of my shin where he like somehow literally like, like kicked me almost. He like stepped and it like, like slashed you basically. I, I don't know. I think he got like jacked up pretty good when they brought a pressure. Okay. And he got like, like kicked back into me and I just got, I had like a huge gash. And I remember I had like basically like tape up uh the mid part of my shin. And so it, it probably looked like I was like trying to do something cool or like create some, some like new fat. I was like, no, I actually have a gigantic wound that was bleeding profusely, uh, on, the, on my left leg. So I still have a scar to this day there. So I, uh, I, I, yeah, I think that was the last time I got truly like cleated with a gash like that. But yeah, like I said, I mean, the blood isn't the thing you're concerned by. It's, it's more about just like, you know, making sure they don't take you out of the game for it because everyone gets all freaked out now. Anytime anyone's bleeding on a, on a sports field. I was going to say, it's not even the blood you're worried about so much as the hole, the gaping hole in your leg, the front of your leg. He called it just the back of the cleat. That looked really painful. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think Alex Smith on Monday night secured the comeback player of the year award by defeating the other top candidate, Ben Roethlisberger. What about you? That's, that's kind of an interesting take. I think, I think it's kind of an interesting take, a little bit of a hot takey. Uh, thing, but no, I, I think you're right. I, look, I think he had it. I think he had it in the bag in general. Um, his story is just so incredible. And the fact that like we've kind of seen it too, like he's, he's been transparent about the process to come back and that alone now with him playing, they beat him head to head, even though it really doesn't have much indication because they don't play each other technically. Um, but what he's doing for this team, I mean, he may be able to lead this team to a division title. If he leads this team to a division title, I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever, you know, if they make it in the playoffs, regardless of stats. I mean, and you can't even compare stats because Roethlisberger has played the entire year. Uh, Alex Smith obviously has, has, you know, only had what four starts under his belt. So it's not really a fair comparison. It's also uh, not a stat award. Like you don't need to. It is and it's not, but what, like if we were comparing Ben Roethlisberger and Cam Newton, both who also are up for the award. That would be different for sure. We'd pick, we'd pick Ben Roethlisberger because it's a stat award. Like yeah. in that regard, it is. So it, it is until it's not. And I think that's the thing is with Alex Smith, it's not because of everything he's endured, what we've all been able to witness and, and then look at and go, holy cow, I can't believe he's playing football right now. 
so I was sort of thinking, like if the Steelers went 16-0, that's obviously on the table because Alex Smith beat Big Ben. Um, I was thinking this path where maybe Ben even sneaks MVP and Alex Smith gets comeback player of the year, but I, I don't think, I, I don't think that, I don't think that's on the table. I think, you know, Mahomes or Rogers will end up winning MVP. And so at that point, it's like, all right, well, are we giving Ben enough credit for this really good season for the Steelers? You could potentially give Alex Smith the Walter Payton man of the year award. If he's nominated by the Washington football team and then go big Ben comeback player of the year. But I think not giving Alex Smith the comeback player of the year would do massive disservice because he came back from nearly dying to, to lead the Washington football team into the playoff hunt. Um, so to me, it's a, it's a slam dunk. And the dude, I mean, I had a caller call in today to our radio show. He said, I think they should name the comeback player of the year award after him. Like that's how much he thinks. Of Alex Smith and his comeback. Now, um, I, I mean, I don't know that I'd go quite that far, but it should have named, by the way, why don't they name the coach of the year award after Don Shula? We need more, like these, it's like the AP coach of the year award. Give it a name. The Shula. Give it the Shula. Well, I mean, I think, I think they probably would, but then the problem is if you take off the AP, then all those, I don't know, like the dweeby people who write and do are you, are you part of that? Are you part of the AP? No, I'm not. Pete Prisco. So exactly. Like you wanna you wanna tick off Pete Prisco? You want the get off my lawn guy like Pete Prisco, the hey, I'm disco Pete. You want you want that guy on your bad side? Like, no, they're not getting rid of that. Those guys think too highly of themselves. Oh my god, they love their votes. Oh, oh I love votes. <laughs> yeah. Plus I I can see Pete being like, Why are we naming it after Alex Smith? I mean, he came back from a leg injury. Big deal. Is it a leg injury? What if you like? Well, he hurt his leg. Lots of people do. All the time. People hurt their legs a lot. He's like, if we're gonna name an award, name the MVP after Danny Marino, all right? Yeah. Greatest yeah. quarterback that ever played. Danny Marino. I was and, <laughs> and she would say, Phil? Yeah, she he was his mom was a big uh RIP his mom, but his she was a big uh, Giants fan. And would always uh you know he tells the story how she would yell at Phil Sims. <laughs> No, Phil, you got to throw it away. <laughs> and so Pete told Phil Sims that, which I think is hilarious. Um, cause, cause I'm sure, I'm sure Phil really cares. Yeah, I'm sure Phil's like, oh, thanks, Pete. Thanks. Uh, thanks, uh, part, uh, pan. What is your name again? Pete. Oh, sorry, Pete. Um, by the way, the, on the Alex Smith, you know, little bit of like microcosmic appreciation for him. How about the savvy end of half? Sneaking off with the football move. Was that smart or was I guess, it? I guess I don't, I don't know how that really. So think about it. You're going to have to exchange the ball anyway. Right. So to me, I think if, and I, and I'll talk to Dean Blandino tomorrow about it, uh, the former VP of officiating, but one of the things I was thinking was like, well, even if they spot the ball, they have to switch it out for the kicking ball. Yeah. So regardless, there has to be an exchange of the ball. So whether or not he gave it to him or ran off with it, they still have to get another ball. And so I'm not sure like that part of them being like, basically awarded extra time to kick that field goal. I'm not sure like that's the part that I feel like was like the key component. I'm more wondering like, well, why aren't they more upset at the Washington, you know, guy who's trying to give them the football or, you know what I'm saying? Like, like why aren't they more upset about themselves for not expediting the process the way they should have to get the kicking ball on the field to then be able to, you know, place it, snap it, make the kick if possible. Like, everyone's saying, oh, it's such a savvy move. I'm like, well, okay, like, let's say he gave the ball back to the official. They would have spotted it, and they would have to get the ball anyway. All so, right, so, so, you know so, what I'm saying? 
So let me ask you this, just from a procedural standpoint, because I mean, I've seen four billion of these plays happen. You never think anything of it because this has never been an issue um, in you know in the course of the game. Uh, but I'm curious. So, like, as a quarterback, and you obviously dealt with the K balls too, right? I mean, that's not yeah. it's not that new. Yeah. Um, I'm just just making sure. I didn't want you to be like, I didn't have K balls, stupid. Um, everyone does. What's that? Everyone does. Yeah, everyone does exactly. Um, so with the K ball thing, who is in charge of the K ball specifically? Do you know? Is it is it um your your managers? Your your managers are your ball boys. Like those guys, there's there's set people, there's set people in the game where you have your game balls that you're using actually actually for play, and then your kicking balls, and they've got them differentiated. They're marked, and there's guys who are carrying them. Literally have them. They're rotating in and out, and when it's time to punt, when it's time to kick, like they've got their their K ball in. So. That's, that's the thing is again, like it, it, everyone's giving Alex Smith credit for it. It's like, well, they would have had to get a kicking ball in anyway. So I guess you're like, because they didn't spot the ball to then replace the ball. You save a couple seconds there, but again, still on the people who are getting in the kicking ball and the officials to spot it in the first place. Okay. So exactly. But the point is, is that the K ball is being held. The K balls and the regular game balls are being held by. A, a, a manager type of person or a person. Yeah, that guy should get the credit because, like, for whatever reason, he get the, they get the ball in. But also, why wouldn't the officials be like, I'm sorry, you didn't have a K-ball. Your team loses three seconds. Like, that's crazy. Because, which is which is probably what should have been the case. Yeah. Like, they, they basically should have been like, no, there's no ball here. The clock runs. That's the end of the half. Um, yeah. Okay. That's that's We were discussing it on, on the recap pod. And so, I, I mean, you you've spent more time in an NFL huddle. Uh, or holding an NFL football than me, Breach, and Wilson combined, uh, by, uh, you know, a billion fold. So I was curious, like, have you ever seen anything like that happen? Or is it usually just, cause it feels like maybe the ref screwed up and wasn't looking for the K ball for some reason. Like the, the ref should have the, the, the managers. The officiating this year, the, the officiating this year by and large has been bad. I mean, bottom line, it's been bad. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get into the specifics and be too harsh on them, but. At multiple levels, there have been some things that you've just going, what the hell? There was a delay of game called this past weekend, and there was visibly a second still on the clock. A second. And they yeah. called it delay of game. There's been other weeks where it's been zero for three seconds. Not even an exaggeration. Three seconds. And we've seen teams still get a playoff. So that's just one example of many of this year. It's been a, we, we've had so many distractions. It's been such a bad year of officiating. And yet, you know, we're kind of more focused on other things, but yeah, no, it's that one to me was more on the officials than it was anything else that Alex Smith did. I do agree. And, and Alex Smith, by the way, was almost Scott Van Pelt and said that he, Scott Van Pelt was like, all right, little sneaky move, right? Not bad, not bad. He's like, I, you know, I just sort of ran off the football. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, he, he wasn't trying to like pull one over. At least he, he claimed that. And yeah, with the, um, by the way, do you like this bright, uh, thing that has materialized on my chest here? Um, I had something in the window and it fell down. Um, at any rate, uh, so the, um, I don't know what I was going to say. I don't know. Let's move. Greg on. Williams getting fired. Yes. Thank you. Oh, I know. I was going to point out that there's so, you're right. Like the officials are just every week. There is something an official does in one game minimum that. <laughs> yes. So this is an NFL, but it's, it's, it's back 12, which if anyone's watched the pack 12, they know what comes to the territory. So. I'm trying to think of the exact context of the play, but basically there is a third down play, unsuccessful conversion. The team goes to punt. They line up to punt. 
They then run a play, but there's a penalty. And then they stop that play, right? So we're already on fourth down. There was, I think, an offsides or false start, maybe one of the two. And they're stopped playing to go, we're going back to the previous play for official review. And you're like, can't do that. Like, you've already, like, whoever's upstairs, like, gave you some bad information, bro. You missed your opportunity. Like, I'm sorry. But that's just like another example of many of like going, what is happening? Like, you've already, they already try to run another play and, and you've literally caused a penalty. So you can't negate that penalty now that just occurred because you're like, Oh, sorry, our bad. We, we should have reviewed it. And we didn't. So anyway, I was like, there are times when you should hear the conversation with Pereira and Blandino because they're like, we have no idea what they're doing. We have no idea <laughs> what these guys are doing down there right now. You're like, hey, like, uh, Mike, uh, Dean, can you guys, the, the producer started to say, can you guys fill us in on what just happened? They're like, nah, we got, we got nothing. They don't know what they're doing. They're, they are lost in the woods. But well, like, like, for like, example, the Tyreek Hill catch. Yeah. Should have been a touchdown. And then everyone's showing on the sidelines and they're like, oh, Andy Reid's yelling at Tyreek Hill because he didn't know he caught the football. It's like, dude, where were you on that one? Like, where was your guy up in the booth? Where was anyone talking about it saying, hey, I think we should challenge this? Or how about this? They could have taken a delay of game to at least given them more time to figure out what they want to do with that play. Five seconds on the, on the play clock. But there's every week there's some like, whether it's a spot or just something that's way off in the officiating. And I feel like the guys in New York, um, now Al Riveron and I guess Walt Anderson is up, is up there as well now too, are so desperate to not correct mistakes that officials make on the field that they're allowing these mistakes to alter the outcome of games. And in reality, okay. It's the first step they need to take in the NFL at cleaning up officiating and replay is go reofficiate the play using replay. Yes. Don't do not care what was on the field. We're past the point now of giving officials on the field uh, the ultimate say, like they're going to officiate the game on most plays but the ones in which we need to review, the ones that we deem to be from a player safety standpoint, game changing, whether that's a turnover or, or a scoring play, those we need to ensure that those are right. And so let's stop worrying about what the call was on the field. Let's coach them to say, hey, if you don't know, right? If you're not like I'm, I'm positive what I saw. Go ahead and let the play go, and, and or if it's not reviewable, you know you can throw a penalty where it, where it wouldn't make it reviewable just to ensure, and so you don't ruin the entire game. Like, I think they need to change the mechanics of how they do it and, and utilize the replay that they have nowadays to reofficiate these plays as opposed to going with what the call is on the field. That's the NFL's biggest issue right now. I agree. So last on Monday, on Monday night, Washington football team and Pittsburgh Steelers are playing. Logan Thomas on a third down catches a ball yep. and tiptoes t- t- on the sidelines, stretches out, and clearly – by all angles, watching it on television, gets a first down. Now, they spotted him short, and so when they went to replay, they came back and they said the call stands. And they have this dumb language where it's like, the call is confirmed or the call right. stands. It's like, right. no, we don't need – this is not – this is not the legal system. This is not a murder trial. Right. You need right. the preponderance of evidence. It's not a civil you, suit. Right. What you need to do is get the play right so teams and fans – feel like that they are getting a fair shake with the product that they're watching. And let's not sleep on the fact that when you start to bring gambling into this league and they're doing that, 
and you got mil- like millions of dollars at stake in DraftKings, and people are betting millions of dollars on each one of these games. That's that. That's where it's going to come to a head, though, is when those parties, so DraftKings, a lot of the books, when they become more intricately involved as sponsors, I think they're going to put a lot more pressure on the NFL to say, you guys need to clean this up, because what do we see sometimes that happens? We see books have to pay out both sides. Yeah. And so that's a great gesture. And that'll definitely get you people to come back and say, well, you know, last time this thing happened, I won either way. I could lose. Of course I'm going to bet with this book, but they, they're not in the business of doing that. You can't keep doing that over and over and over again. So once the NFL kind of gets over the stigma of sports betting and gambling, I do think that those powers will be the ones that ultimately behind the scenes make the change. Yeah. They need to. Cause I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it, there's too much. You're a $14 billion business. Put some damn cameras on the sideline. Put cameras all over the place. Put a chip in the ball. Like, why is, why is my, like, why is my great, like, uncle out there, you know, with, in, in spectacles spotting, you know, like, well, I guess the ball's right about here. It's like, no, just put a chip on the ball. Let's go. Be real about this. All right. Uh, Greg Williams, speaking of spe- bespectacled lunatics. Uh, was fired by the Jets, Adam Gase, Adam Teflon Gase, canned Greg Williams, uh, for basically what amounts to in- insubordination. Um, now I, I, I am going to assume that you as a former professional football player, like most other professional football players that we've seen out there on social media and on the airwaves would probably immediately debunk the idea that anything Greg Williams did calling a cover zero blitz against a Hail Mary was designed to tank for the Jets. Right, because, again, it's impossible to think how that makes any logical sense, right? right? Like, you're going to get fired if your team doesn't win. In fact, it was such a bad call, he got fired the next day for making that decision. So uh, unless somehow in this scheme or plan it involves him not being there anymore as a coach – uh, it doesn't make any sense. And for the players, obviously, you're doing the best you can to execute because, it, it, I mean, the, like the one thing you're going to take away from that play was Lamar Jackson got burnt, right? We've got a Lamar Jackson league as a cornerback, not just a quarterback, and, and he got burnt on that play. So, you know, is that good tape for him to have out there? No, it's part of his resume. So that's the problem with tanking in general is people need to get out of their eye, you know, their minds that anyone's tanking, right? The Dolphins were talked about doing it last year. It didn't happen. Still got Tua, by the way. Uh, players can't afford to. Your life – in career spans too short, it's too fragile and delicate, and coaches can't either. So um it's just not, not – They were winning the game for 59 minutes. Right, and well, that's the other thing is they're like, oh, what do I need to do to just, just go ahead and give this game up? Here's the reality of why I also don't think that it was like anything out of the ordinary. That's what Greg Williams does. Look, I remember being a rookie when he was with the Washington – football team there are called something else back then in 2007 i remember visiting him back then and his mo and talking about how he was a pressure guy and gotta have it situations he likes to bring the house you know so that was the scenario of the game but the problem with that is is that doesn't work if you don't have the personnel which again it's nothing against lamar jackson he's a fine player he's always physical he's undrafted rookie out of nebraska but he, he still can play that's why he's out there but you're going against a first-round wide receiver who may be the fastest guy in the NFL, and you don't think that John Gruden and the Raiders didn't know it was coming. Derek Carr immediately checked to a seven-man protection, which is what you do, and they had on a stutter go. And so, like, the one thing 
that you could not allow them to do in that moment was take a shot and to a vulnerable situation where you've got a quarterback one-on-one. Like that's the one thing you don't do with 13 seconds left and half the field to go. And so I know it's in his DNA. I know it's his blueprint of what he does. You've got to do something different though and know your personnel and understand the situation your team is in. So um, it was just awful. He should have been fired. He's one of the things he's done a bad job this year in general, just adapting to his personnel. And how about throughout the course of the game? Like, Hey, do you want to double Darren Waller at some point? Or do we just want to let him keep running around the field wide open the entire game? Like at some point, do you want to cover him with a couple guys, bracket him, something, nothing, anything? They, they could have easily lost the game earlier. He put Marcus May on Darren Waller one-on-one in the back of the end zone, and Darren Waller had 200 receiving yards. Like, what is this defensive scheme? His defenses have sucked since Bounty Gate. They've been awful. awful since Bounty Gate. And he's like, he's this brash, like, you know, blitz-happy lunatic. I get it. And the idea that running cover zero on a Hail Mary situation, well, look, I would vastly prefer you drop everybody and just make them make one great throw, and it's a tough throw in the first place. Um but the idea that like that can't work is wrong. You just Gase Gase said afterwards that he heard you know he was like talking to or I guess Adam Mike Silver reported maybe that Gase was like talking to another coach and hears zero or like in his headset is like what and then couldn't get in there to call timeout in time. Um, you know you have a linebacker who's supposed to be blitzing or maybe it was a safety who's safety and then, and then so that's the issue. So like, sort of jogging around at the line of scrimmage like at least so it right. if, you, if you go through the mechanics of it right, any blitz zero is never going to work if you actually don't bring all of your guys who aren't assigned to someone. And so the safety that was sitting right there in the middle, as he crept up, he never really forced Derek Carr, who did step up in the pocket, and there would have been a free shot on him. He never really forced him to rush that throw. He stepped up, avoided the rush, got the ball out on a stutter go, which never should have happened. There should have been a free guy hitting him at that point, but the guy didn't rush hard enough. So it's a terrible position to put his team in, his players in, especially a defense that's not good in the first place. I mean, theoretically, I understand you, you think they're going to throw quick so that you can rally up, make the tackle, clock runs out, or you, you know, you force them, something like that. But the thing that doesn't make any sense about it is you're so vulnerable to a big play like that. It's not worth the risk. Yeah. Here's the thing that cracks me up though. Had a caller today mention this Raiders fan. He goes, you know, if Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers makes that throw, everyone's saying, what a great throw it was. And I was like, I- I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen to this for a second. All right. And then I'm gonna try to be as respectful as I can, but it was near <laughs> impossible. I said, you know what's so funny about you using that as a way of saying like Derek Carr doesn't get any respect is the play call itself is absolutely was, was so bad. It was so stupid versus Derek Carr and even more so versus Mahomes or Rodgers that it would have gotten fired probably even quicker if he would have done that against either of those two. So I said, you're actually, the point you're making is the fact that he got fired the next day is a compliment to Derek Carr because he never should have done it in the first place. So I said, instead of looking at it like he doesn't get any respect, look at it like he made him pay and now the guy lost his job. That's how good Derek Carr is playing right now. And, and the guy was like, well, that doesn't, doesn't make any sense. I was like, of course not. Cause you got your left shoe and your right foot. So have a nice day. <laughs> Jesus. I see, but I look at it as like the fact that he sent the cover zero blitz 
And um, uh, uh, Steve Palazzo of uh, of uh, PFF pointed out that at that point in time, uh, Derek Carr, I think, was like one of six on throws against the Blitz and 0 and 4 on throws 20 yards or more down the field. In other words, when you blitz him and he's got to throw deep, he wasn't playing well. It's actually, it's actually totally disrespectful to Derek Carr to bring the cover zero blitz. Cause it says you think that if you send the house on him, he's going to like turn into a like, collapse, like a little paper tiger, not get the throw off. Like you would never do that against Patrick Mahomes. Right. But I mean, regardless of the circumstances of why you would or wouldn't, he was like, well, he checked the protection and he delivered a great ball. And I was like, well, technically, if you really want me to be like, you know, like Monday morning quarterbacking it, it was a little bit inside. Rugs had to run to the inside to get it. <laughs> If Lamar Jackson had stuck with him, which he was going to is too fast, you know, he probably would have broken up the play. Uh, it wasn't the perfect ball placement, but it, it was a good with the operations. It was good with identifying where they wanted to go and he executed. They got the win. I was like, what does it matter? I was like, why are we even arguing or debating about it? I was like, they almost got beat by the Jets. That, that should be more of your concern as a Raiders fan. But by the way, shouldn't Lamar Jackson have just tackled Henry Ruggs? Yes. Um, that would have made the most sense. Um, especially at the point at which he stuttered him and he knew he was going to get beat. Just, just grab him and tear it. He would have had to grab him. Now, you know, they, they would have gotten the ball at that point in time in the field. But time's your biggest enemy, which is why I've still been a huge advocate because uh, I do believe that would, that would probably fall under in sports and white conduct. Uh, I've been a huge advocate for saying, if you want to really change the way we call pass interference and how it can change games, Add time back on the clock, make it automatic first and 15. And, and I think, you know, then you kind of solve both issues because for the offense, you know, you, you would love to have the 50, 60 yard chunk, but it's kind of unfair to the defense. And so you give them 15, but you also put time back on the clock to what it was. And I think then it's kind of fair to everyone. So if they want to keep doing that down the field, that's fine. But if you started to drive a 56 minute or 56 seconds, you're going to be on the 20 yard line with 56 seconds if they do it three times in a row. Right. 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 Which is. Which is would outweigh the the benefit for the defense of tackling somebody exactly. fifteen for yards or whatever. Exactly, it's a whole mess. Um, okay, anything else that we're supposed to get to? I'm not even looking at my rundown. I'm staring at the Juventus Barcelona score. I was trying to look back through it, but Debo sent us like eight different copies of it. Um, talked to Sean Payton today. How about this? Why should he not get Coach of the Year? Explain to me the case against Sean Payton because now you don't have Mike Tomlin undefeated anymore, yep. even though that was his, it's been a historic year. For Pittsburgh, you know, it, I it, do love, I do love that. Like with the Steelers, like everybody's, like everybody's sort of like exhaling, like okay, all right, we can get rid of Tomlin on Coach of the Year, Big Ben MVP. Let's get these out of the way. They're not going undefeated. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Let's focus on the people we really. Well, how about all the people who are like, why are the Steelers the best team in the in the AFC? Yeah. It's like, well, dude, because if you watch them this year, like they're not better than the Chiefs. If they play the Chiefs, the Chiefs will beat them, and now you got beat by the Washington Football Team. So. Right. Frisco had him one. We asked him on the, on the power. We're like, well, would you, who'd you pick? Chiefs or Steelers? He's like, Chiefs. Chiefs. Yeah. Of course. Like, why do you, how, how do you say it? Chiefs. Why does it matter? The Steelers deserve it. They, they went undefeated. They deserve the number one spot in my artificial why, power rankings. Why is he always angry? I feel like he's, he's always angry. I don't know. Maybe too much testosterone. Um, that, that could be artificial too, though. I mean, that's uh-huh. what I mean. That's too many shots. Right. Um, well, but no, in all seriousness, like, let's go through the candidates. So you've got Stefanski. Great job he's done with, with the Browns, obviously, first year. No, are, is, is Tomlin off the table for you? Yeah. Hold on. Put him in the conversation, but here's the reality. Is if you're going to put Tomlin in, then you put in Sean Payton, but Sean Payton's now in the second year in a row 
has dealt with his, his future Hall of Fame quarterback getting hurt, and he's undefeated. He's eight no now the past two years. I, I don't want to encompass like last year, but like he didn't get any credit for that last year, and well, now he's he's got to really adjust this year. And and they're still the best team in the NFC. So I just if you're gonna put Tom in the conversation, you put in Sean Payton, and Sean Payton trumps him as far as what he's had to work with and what. Tom was at to work with. Well, so for me, a large part of coach of the year, I think that oftentimes it's too much like what coach drags crappy team into playoff contention. And I kind of right. don't, I kind of don't love that. I think it should be like who made the most out of the year with the most difficult circumstances. And I, that's why I think Sean Payton is a viable candidate. Like Tom Brady got added to his division, you know, the, um, and he lost Drew Brees for multiple weeks and he had to use Taysom Hill and still won games with him and could very well get the number one seed and sweat the Buccaneers and has been like incredibly he dominated the Buccaneers. Dominated. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, you know, looking at like other potential options, right? I said Stefanski, like it's been great. Right. It really has been. You could throw him into the conversation. Flores in his second year, especially if they're a playoff team. Uh, Belichick, like he's never yeah. going to get the benefit of the doubt. If they are a freaking playoff team when it's all said and done, by far and away his best work because of what he's been working with. But he'll never get any credit for it. So I'm, I'm just saying right here, right now, as we finish this Pick 6 podcast, Sean Payton for Coach of the Year, people are going to be like, well, it's a no-brainer. Well, is it? Then why hasn't he won it? Why haven't you given it to him then if he's doing such a great job? Um, like, who else has done a better job at this point? So He has zero Coach of the Year awards? Is that right? Maybe he's got it once, but I don't even know if that's the case. Let's see, Sean Payton. Like, by the way, let me just give you this analogy. All right. It's easier to keep an A than to earn an A, right? And so they were expected to be a really good team this year. 2006 coach of the year. There you go. So one time. Yeah. They, they were expected to be good this year. And so it's hard to be able to maintain that level of high play, and especially when you lose your quarterback or your defense isn't always healthy and then played well early. And then to round into what they look like now and come together and they had wide receivers out and everything. Like it's pretty remarkable when you really look at their body of work this year and what they've done. And so, like I said, it's easier to keep an A than earn an A. I think with a lot of teams that are bad football teams that have gotten in the playoffs as a wild card team and so forth, that's awesome. And, and they should be in consideration, but it's not as hard at keeping at that high level of play like they have, especially considering all the circumstances they've been through. I, I think it's a great point. And look, Brian Flores, if, if they win the division or if they make the playoffs, it's going to be hard to talk anybody out of him, um, considering all that they've dealt with. But, you know, I, I have no problem with Sean Payton winning the award. I think I said that either on the podcast or on some radio hit, uh, previously. It was, I think Gil Brandt tweeted out a list. He's like, who deserves it? Here's some candidates. It's like, you just listed half the coaches, but I mean, there are, there are a lot of, there are a lot of viable candidates. Like Ron Rivera is should be in the mix too. Yeah, yeah especially for the division. 100%. Joe Judge. And just you throw it in there, right? Knock through a little bout of cancer amid a, amid like a, a division fight. That's not exactly easy. Joe Judge should be in there. Yeah, there's a lot of candidates. Um, I think that might even be the most hotly contested award. Brady. All right. That's the show. 